Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 116, the new Airman Certification Standards, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to another informative episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Joining me today are my favorite scholarly aviators. Uh, we have with us this evening a special person, Tom Frick. Tom, who's been out there working his butt off, flight instructing. Welcome, Tom. Good evening. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing wonderful. Wonderful. We also have uh, Larry Overstreet. Larry, welcome. Hello, everybody. Hello. And uh, also joining us is Paul Grico. Paul, welcome. Hey, guys. And Russ Rosleski. Welcome, Russ. Yeah, hi, Carl. Thanks. And uh, last but not least is Sean Moody. Welcome back. I know you've been really busy with with your other uh, job there, but welcome to the show. We really appreciate you being here this evening. Good evening. Sorry for the absence, but uh, glad to be back. Yeah, it's always nice to have you on, on the show. Really, really enjoy it. Let's do the pre-flight. But before we uh, introduce our guest, uh, you know, we... Uh, we, as aviators, as scholarly aviators, no less, are we are always continually trying to improve our aviation skills and knowledge. Uh, today, we'll be discussing the new standards the FAA is implementing to test pilot skills and knowledge, the Airman Certification Standards. Joining us is a very special guest. He's one of the working group members of the Airman Certification Standards team and chaired the group responsible for prototyping the ACS in the field. He also is involved in leading the effort towards implementing of ACS for the private certificate and instrument rating due in June of 2016. Now entering cruise flight. Our guest today is an outstanding aviation ed- educator, pilot advocate, and you know, an all-around nice guy, Eric Crump of Polk State College. Welcome to the show, Eric. Wow, I feel like I'm, I owe you some money for that. Is it? Do I have to pay by the word, or is it by the sentence? Or Eric, I had I had many more added to that because there's so many more accolades, but I didn't want your head swelling up too big because you have to wow. put your, your your headset on tomorrow morning. Man, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get out of this room um, when we get done with this podcast. No, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for. It's it's odd to put on the interviewee hat from the co-host hat, but. I will do my best to be a, a good interviewee. Well, you know, Eric, we appreciate you doing this. I know you've you've had to been somewhat silent on on this issue and this topic, and we are so glad to have you here because there are so many questions we all have, and we are all a little bit foggy. As a matter of fact, I, I think that uh, you are going to help me, uh, especially when I'm out there and teaching or when I'm out there doing safety program meetings, and help me relay this information. And this, hopefully, people will listen to this podcast and send it to their friends because maybe you'll understand better the Airman Certification Standards and what it means to you. But, you know, before we get going, uh, just a few things. As far as contacting us, hey, I appreciate all the different 
forms of social media that you've been using, the Twitter, our Facebook, and the website for comments. Keep doing that. Uh, the co-hosts and I, we've, we've decided we're going to try as hard as we can to monitor uh, the Stuck Mike Avcast on Twitter and also on our Facebook page. And also the comments on the on the website. Of course, you can email us there too. But but we're trying to do is is keep that interaction going, and we really appreciate those comments. I wish we could go all over those today, but we're going to try to do that in our next episode. I know there's a lot of questions uh, that you want to bring up in our in our uh, podcast, and we'll try to answer some of those. We'll we'll leave that to a later episode. But also, uh, as far as announcements, let's move on to announcements here. We uh, and if anybody else has an announcement, let me know. the uh, The one announcement, the big one for us for the Stuck Mike Avcast is going to be Sun and Fun, 2016, from April 5th through April 10th. We're going to be broadcasting an episode live from Sun and Fun Radio. Also, yours truly, of course, will be one of the hosts of Sun and Fun Radio again this year. Uh, I know last year I spent a good eight hours to ten hours a day on the microphone. I know Eric was there throwing things at me when I was on the deck, and that's at Sun and Fun Radio. We do appreciate you keeping us awake there, at least keeping our audience awake. It's really a lot of fun. Uh, And for those people that don't understand what Sun and Fun Radio is, it's not the announcements at the front of the stage where they announce the air show. It's at the back end, and it plays all year long. Go to sun-fun.org and check out Sun and Fun Radio. Does anybody else have announcements? Any more announcements for any shout-outs, too, of uh, anybody? I hearing silence. Uh, as far as other uh, announcements are concerned, uh, as far as I'm concerned, we uh, we finally got. I don't know if I mentioned this on the last one, but we finally got our Aerospace Scholarships 2016 guide, which is sponsor of this episode. It's out in the Amazon store. It's coming t- soon to the iTunes uh, or the iBooks uh, store, and we'll have that out there shortly. Uh, and that's actually a really good guide. It's been very helpful to people, and we are starting to get a lot of traction. People keep adding things to our guide. It changes every day. So if you want to check it out, go aerospacescholarships.com. Well, let's move on to our main discussion today with Eric Crump. And uh, Eric, I, I tell you, man, this this has been something that has... Uh, then sprung upon us all of a sudden. I mean, it, it's 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 like you know, gosh, we do, we just found out about this yesterday. Is is that true? <laughs> I think that's probably the most common thing I get. Um, people find out that I'm involved in this thing. People that I haven't talked to in years, like, well, what's going on? This just happened all of a sudden. This happened in three months. Like, how, how are we gonna how are we gonna do this? And actually, this process started over five years ago. Um, and this and, is the Airman Certification Standards process. Yeah, yeah, and we can go through the history if you want to. How we got to, to where we are today. Yeah, um, interesting. But but the ACS is um, actually more than just what we're publishing um, for activation. Private Instrument are the ones that are coming out um, in June of 2016. But we've published commercial, we've published um, a draft ATP, and we've published a draft um, uh, authorized instructor that you named for the CFI PTS in the Federal Register um, many times, actually, for public comment. Um, and we try to do the best we can to get the word out every time one of these things comes out because we really, really do want the feedback uh, coming back in. Um, it's just it's still really amazing to me. The first time we published in the Federal Register, which was really probably a couple of years ago now, um, we just inundated, this, you know, I don't know, five, 400, 500 comments that came in and it was, what is this strange thing? And even at that point, we had been at it for several years. And uh, anyway, so as far as a quick history lesson, um, about five years ago or so, um, if you, some of you may remember this, 
but safe, the Society of Aviation and Flight Educators held a pilot training reform symposium in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was invited to speak there. At the time, I was the aviation content manager for Glime Publications. And I was invited to come and talk about uh, the knowledge tests. And um, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised to hear that, you know, the knowledge tests are not viewed as all that useful by most people who are either (laughs) student applicants or flight instructors or pilot examiners, for that matter. Um, And there were many things on the docket, but the knowledge test thing was a big item because just the month previous, the FA had completely rewritten the fundamentals of instruction knowledge test with no warning at all. There was no advance notice. The entire test was rewritten overnight. The industry was not notified that that had happened. And what used to be, if you will, a gimme test where you could walk out of there after 20 minutes of effort with a 90 or higher score um, turned into mass failures where the failure rate exceeded 40 and 50% of people who took the test. And the entire training industry just cried foul and said, look, if you want to change it, that's okay. I mean, that's okay. You can make updates. That's important. But to just completely write the whole thing and to bring in a bunch of what at the time was considered to be really useless questions just for the purpose of making people fail, it was kind of considered like a backhanded, you know, stab in the back kind of thing. And so one of the things that came out of this um, pilot training reform symposium was um, that many FAA um, leaders actually attended this meeting. And one of them is Van Kearns, who runs AFS 600, the Airman Testing and Certification Branch. And Van was actually in my little uh, work group, my little subgroup that we broke off after the first day. And we were trying to make recommendations to the FAA on how knowledge testing could be improved. And it was, it's funny now, and I've reminded Van of this several times after, but Van just kind of sat there and looked at us like, how did I not know that this was, how did I not know how bad it was? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he was stunned to hear some of the stories that we told about questions that we had gotten on the knowledge test or how useless we in the industry felt the knowledge testing process was. And so sort of what came out of that was an industry effort um, to create um, an aviation rulemaking committee. And the idea was to get a whole bunch of industry people together in a room with the FA leadership and say, okay, we need to improve the knowledge test, and this is how we should do it. And so what we had decided was, if you take a check ride today, you're going to use the practical test standards. Everybody does. And that's great that there's a standard that tells you exactly what to expect. But there had never been a knowledge test standard. The FA was basically free to ask any and all questions that they wanted to from any number of source publications without telling anybody what was actually being tested. So the original product was a knowledge test standard to go along with the practical test standard. But then that group kind of got to thinking about it and I was like, well, if we publish these things separately, then they're going to be viewed separately. What would happen if we took this knowledge testing standard, excuse me, and the practical test standard that exists today and glue them together and create one certification standard that really explained the entire process of earning a pilot certificate or rating. And that's where the ACS was born um, from that concept. And at the same time, we were trying to determine, you know, we have been talking about risk management and single pilot resource management and these really important skills 
Um, they're important for the airlines, and there are two qualified pilots in the airplane. So it must be even more important in a GA environment where there's one pilot and you're basically on your own, minus the resources that you have uh, at, at your disposal. So how do we actually train good single pilot resource management skills? But the better question is, how do we test it? How do we find out if a pilot actually has those skills that they're going to need to keep themselves out of trouble, minus you know actually getting themselves out of trouble when it happens? And so this all sort of happened at the same time. And that's why when you look at the ACS today, you're going to see three basic um, evaluation criteria in each task. Those are knowledge, risk management, and skills. Skills is basically what's in the PTS today. Now, we did do a little bit of revising in terms of consolidating duplicated things that were listed in multiple tasks, um, cleaning up some of the clutter that just kind of got added to the PTS over the years. But we didn't change the standards. This is a very important point. Um, plus or minus altitudes, plus or minus distance, plus or minus airspeeds, all of the standards remained exactly the same. And that's the skill portion. Knowledge is that thing that was always missing. That's, that explains for each task in the certification standard, this is what you need to know and what level you need to know that information. With that standard, the FA can then create good, valid, effective knowledge test questions on the appropriate content at the appropriate knowledge level for each task in the certification standard. Instructors can brief their students before they go for the oral portion of the practice practical test, knowing again exactly which areas of knowledge need to be mastered and to what level they need to be known. Um, and so that's that's where the knowledge piece comes in. And then risk management, if you've, if you've thumbed through a PTS lately, it, I mean, most people just skip the introduction altogether. Nobody reads the instructions. Um, but in the introduction to the PTS, you're going to find special emphasis areas. In some PTSs, that list has grown as far as 17 items. Now, these are special emphasis items that a pilot examiner is supposed to be testing on throughout the entire practical test. But how and where and when, right? They're supposed to be tested on, but they're kind of disassociated from the tasks, and then a couple of years ago, the FA went in and added the six single pilot resource management tasks that we now know and love to the introduction to PTS, which is great. It was in there, but it wasn't really spelled out on how those things were supposed to be applied to the actual tasks we were going to complete, either on the ground or in the airplane. And so the risk management section takes all of that stuff and puts it in the task where it's appropriate. So it makes one holistic testing standard that doesn't just focus on skills or knowledge or risk management, but does it the way that logically makes sense, which is all together at the same time. And that's your big history lesson. Well, that, you know, Eric, thanks for that wonderful background there. It, it actually leads to many more questions. Uh, what's interesting is I, I've looked at the ACS and uh, when you were talking, one of the things that I said to myself is, how is this all tied together? Uh, we'll have a link, by the way, on the website to show you that. And that that actually, it, it's very intuitive and it's fairly simple. Uh, when you actually look at this new ACS, you know where to look. Instead of having all these different reference documents, like you said, there are specific places to look. So I think that's a real, that that's awesome. That's key. I think in this whole process is the, is the ability to actually find that information that I need to be able to, to relate it to this actual PTS or ACS, I should say. Mm -hmm. Russ, you had a question. Yeah, Eric, uh, you had mentioned that 
there have been no change in the uh, standards in the, for the maneuvers and such? Are any of the maneuvers or any, anything else of substantial of that nature going to be changing? Well, you know, I, I would say yes, because if you, for example, if you open up a private pilot or really any other PTS today, you're going to find runway incursion avoidance. Um, and that was a special emphasis item that was so important to the FAA that it just kind of got added into the PTS. I'm not saying runway incursion avoidance isn't important, by the way, but it just it, it was a duplicated task because most of that stuff was already covered in taxing, for example, or airport markings and, and lighting, um, for example. So what we did was to go through and clean out the duplication. So as the years went on, more and more material just got added to the, P the PTS, and it was never really um, streamlined or made efficient. Just more and more stuff got added. So we did go in and clean that up, I, I would say that. Um, but in terms of adding new tasks that weren't previously evaluated, no, we didn't do that. And getting rid of tasks altogether, um, we we didn't technically do that, but we did consolidate some of those tasks together that really shouldn't have been separated in the first place. Again, just to try to make it a more logical, straightforward process. Sure. Yeah, cleaning up some of that was certainly useful, and I'm glad you did. I've seen a, some examples of it from a couple of years ago. I'd, I'd be interested to see how closely the uh, final versions looked to what was back then. But other questions. So let's say I have a, or let's say I am a student right now, either a private pilot or uh, an instrument uh, rating student, and you can mm -hmm. talk about differences between the two if 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 you need to. Uh, so I, let's say I started training, you know, this week, right? Mm -hmm. How, if at all, is this change in standards going to affect me if I don't have my check ride till August? That's a very cool. good question. Um, so the, the ACS is the final ACS for private instrument will get published on the FAA's website. Um, we're, we're looking at mid-April um, to give a 60-day lead time for pilot examiners, instructors, students, whatever, to get familiar with it. However, uh, whatever date that is in June that that document becomes effective, and to be honest with you, I don't know. We don't know exactly what that date is yet. But when that date is decided and published on the FAA's website, Every certification activity for private instrument after that date will be with the ACS. Um, so if you're starting a course of training now and you want to do your certification under the PTS, then you need to get that done before June of 2016. But I would say one thing to tag on to that, there are a lot of people who I think are kind of really concerned about, well, the whole system is changing and we'll get into prototyping in a minute and why we did that and why that was so important. But what we learned from prototyping is that um, an ACS certification activity and a PTS certification activity are not fundamentally different. Um, there is no real difference in the way that the activity is conducted. If anything, the ACS is an improved version of the PTS that just gives you more information. It won't fundamentally change your certification uh, activity at all, actually. Um, and one of the questions I get asked a lot, too, is, well, you know, this document's huge because it's got all this content in it. It's going to be an eight-hour practical test, and it, it's it's not at all. Um, and we know that because we've prototyped the thing um, for a year and a half. So we, we know that that's not going to be the case. And again, this comes down to reading the instructions. But the introduction is fairly clear that unless the ACS specifies otherwise, um, when you look at a task, all of the skills are required, 
which that was the case today, if you look at the PTS, one knowledge task and one risk management task for each task in the ACS is required. Now, in some cases, additional uh, things beyond just one may be required, and the instructions in the, in the ACS explain that very clearly. But what you're going to find is that instead of actually making the check ride longer, what we found was that either the check ride was, or the oral portion was the same length or it was actually shorter because it provided pilot examiners a much more clear and detailed approach to asking questions and really zoning down into not just what the applicant needs to know, but maybe even the more important part, at what level they need to know it. Because the questions I'm going to ask a commercial applicant, for example, about um, uh, weather planning or uh, time, fuel, and distance are going to be asked at a different level than I would ask out of a private applicant. Do both people need to know how to do it? Yes. Do Would I expect that their knowledge of the process or their ability to think outside the box would be different? Well, of course, because one has more experience than the other. And so the ACS kind of allows for that, and it explains it in, in, in I think, really, really clear terms that should actually make our certification activities much more efficient. I, I would see a great advantage, actually, for people to just – Start your training now. That's fine. Yeah, but it, you might it, actually find out that the certification activity is better for you if you wait and just go ahead and take it with the ACS in June. Yeah, it almost sounds like uh, regardless of when they take the, the check. I mean, if, if a guy can pass the, the check ride the day before it goes into effect, they should be able to pass it the day after it goes into effect, right? I mean, the check exactly. ride is not going to substantially change. It's just the preparation for it and possibly uh, some of the questioning on it. It sounds like what you're talking about, Eric. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, great. It also sounds like, you know, I, I know a lot of people who are preparing for CFIs go through the PTS and create their, you know, CFI binders based on the PTS. Uh, mm -hmm. how, how is this for the CFI as far as changes go, or is it just negligible? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. Maybe we need to get some of my uh, CFI applicants this semester on that stuck my gapcast to tell you what their experience is, because they're doing that right now. They're building lesson plans, and that's part of the exercise is to build this lesson plan from the PTS and then build it again from the ACS. And uh, hopefully hopefully they're not listening to this particular episode. Um, <laughs> but what they're going to find is that it doesn't change the lesson plan. It just doesn't. It doesn't appreciably change um, the lesson planning process at all. And it, it Actually, in fact, it probably makes it, again, just like the certification test, more efficient for the CFI. You know, Eric, you had mentioned that uh, this is not going to fundamentally change the process. Mm -hmm. The, the, the thing that I would like to know, and this is a question I get often, is if, if you were to take a percentage, and this might be tough for you to answer, if you were to say that there is a percentage change in the new ACS compared to the old PTS, would it be, say, 5%, possibly 10% uh, in, in the tasks involved or even lower than that? So we're not talking about the addition of the new knowledge no. and risk management stuff, Correct. just in terms of just what was in the PTS, how much changed. Exactly. Um, well, the introduction changed significantly, like I said before, because all that disjointed risk management stuff on uh, special emphasis areas and single pilot resource management is now integrated into the ACS. Um, but as far as the actual tasks themselves, I, I would shoot it somewhere in the 5% region. Again, we didn't take anything out. We didn't add anything in. We consolidated a lot of stuff, um, but ultimately, it just it was not an appreciable change in in terms of the skill content. Right. 
So, and, and this is important. I, I know I won't hold you to that number, but I'm sure you're going to get quoted on on that number of five percent in the future. And, and oh please, no, if that's you're fine. I, I honestly have not even <laughs> thought about it in that context before. And and it's um, a guesstimate, but so. I have. Well, yeah, it's a guesstimate because I don't really even think about it in those kind of terms. I can tell you from talking to DPEs who were part of our prototyping effort, the difference in making a plan of action to conduct the certification test from PTS to ACS did not change. Their approach to building their plan of action was exactly the same. And most of them, really the only thing they had to change was making sure they had uh, covered all the required knowledge and risk management tasks, which were new. Um, and that was that was the extent of the change. But again, most of them found that to be an actual uh, useful exercise because it was a way to more focus uh, the oral portion of their practical tests. Interesting. Uh, Tom, I think you had a question. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it actually fed right into what he was just talking about, about um, an examiner. If, uh, if, if the new ACS was going to put the onus on the examiner to create a different um, a type of exam, and uh, was it going to be more difficult or easier? Or And I think he just answered a, a good part of that, you know. So, Eric, that's, that's kind of what my question was, um, you know, how, how much of the onus is on the examiner to uh, change the way that they're doing um, exams now? Well, we're okay if I'm blunt, right? Everybody's sure. okay if I give a blunt answer. <laughs> okay, so if if you're a flight instructor and you're listening to this, and you send your applicants today to good qualified DPEs who give a good, fair, comprehensive practical test, and you're already teaching risk management, which you should have been doing anyway, then there's there is no difference. If you are sending your students to the guy that you can pay him an extra hundred bucks and it's a guaranteed pass, your life is going to change significantly. Um, if if you were a DPE and you're doing a good, valid check ride today, nothing bad happens to you at all. Actually, again, it's probably an easier process in the new way of doing this than it is today. But if you're one of those people who is just what's the minimum I can do and still get paid, then, then yeah, that's going to be a pretty significant change for you um, yeah, I mean, if you want to keep your designation. And the point was not to make life hard. The point is we're certifying people to go operate in the NAS with people in the airplane and with a whole lot of people underneath them. We want to know. I think our industry as a whole wants to know that those people are not only you know, able to accomplish a skill in the airplane, which is great, by the way, but that they actually understand what they're doing and that they've considered all the possible risks associated with that operation and they've planned for them accordingly. And I don't think that's really an unreasonable expectation. No, not at all. And, and you know, to the extent of my question, without too much detail, is my um, I've, I've flown with different examiners and both conducted their exams differently. So it mm -hmm. was apparent that there was some leeway in how they interpreted the PTS and how they were going to move forward with it. And and I guess that's what my question was more geared towards: is is this going to sure. kind of rope that in a little bit more? In other words, put that onus on the on the DPE to put, go ahead and uh, you know follow this more concisely and make a more consistent test from from examiner to examiner. Well, I don't think we're going to get to the place where the FA is individually approving plans of action. I don't think that the examiners want that. I don't think the FA wants to have to deal with that either. Um, and to be honest, I think there's, you know, there's value in the experience and the background that DPs bring to that equation 
Um, and yes, at the end of the day, there's going to be some subjectivity in the way the practical test is, is uh, structured. But at the end of the day, the certification, the, you know, the, the process where you make that sad or unsat decision should be based on the same set of standards. Um, but hearing some uh, concern from the DPE community, and I will mention, by the way, that we have seven DPEs on our working group um, who have been working on this project for a really long time. We have a very, very diverse group of people uh, from basically every aspect of the aviation industry you can imagine. Um, you know, and we asked them, so how do we quiet the fears among the DPE community about what this is going to be? And one of the things they recommended was maybe we should set up our own little uh, subgroup to build sample plans of action based on the ACS to, that we can then publish, make available for free for DPEs and, for that matter, for flight instructors and applicants to look at. This is an example. It doesn't mean you have to follow it exactly, but this is an example of how one might make a plan of action for an ACS certification test. Um, and I think that will be extremely useful, and that work is um, slated to be done around the same time that the ACS gets published uh, to the FA's website. So hopefully those sample plans of action will be available as well with recommendations and best practices for DPEs. You know, Eric, going going back to what you touched on there with the and Tom said with the risk management scenario based training, mm-hmm. uh, I've I've gotten some feedback from people asking, you know, that they're like, well, this is what we've done already. This is what's been included in the <laughs> right. exam already. So, what what truly is changing? Um, and and it's 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 somewhat hard. It was it was somewhat difficult for me to actually say that or, or to answer that question. I said, well, well, stay tuned because we're going to be talking to Eric Crump about this. How do I answer that question? <laughs> well, I think that goes back to my previous mm-hmm. answer a minute ago. If you were given a good uh, practical test, if you were providing good holistic flight instruction, nothing really changes for you. What we've done is just put in writing what we've been saying for years, um, where the PTS left so much room open for – I mean, and, and there are DPEs, and you know, I, I know them, and actually – can't think of any, well, I can't think of one DPE that works with our program who does not do a, a holistic scenario-based uh, approach toward the practical test, regardless of the certificate or rating. Because today, in FA Order 8900, which governs a lot of things, but specifically it also governs how a DPE gives a practical test, it specifically states that that evaluation should be done using a scenario or multiple scenarios as the case warrants. Now, there are still people who probably aren't doing that until they get audited by the FAA. Maybe they try to put together a scenario. But that nothing, nothing changed because of the ACS. That was already a requirement. What we're trying to do with the ACS is to make it easier for people to accommodate the requirement that already existed. So to answer your question, yes, it, that's the way it is today. And it's not so much that anything is changing so much as that we're writing it down. And we're saying, okay, we said it was a good idea to do this, but now here's an actual codified standard that says you have to do it this way. Interesting. You know, and let's back up, too, to make the people more comfortable. I, you know, I stood in front of a crowd of people that really kind of stared at me with, with needles, you know, I think in their eyes, ready to, to, to shoot me when I mentioned the, the ACS, and I thought this was a great thing. Uh, one of the concerns I heard from the crowd was this, uh, and you, you alluded to it, but I want you to expand on it and get a little more granular. You had mentioned that there are people from many different and diverse backgrounds. I know you, yeah. and I know DPEs. 
Who mm-hmm. else was involved in the FAA? Who else was involved in this process? Give us and, and tell us how the, the, the scale of the different volunteers and people involved. Don't quote me on this number either, but I think our working group right now is somewhere between 32 and 35 members mm-hmm. around in that region. Um, and of that membership, the vast majority is industry, um, but there is a lot of FAA participation as well. And this this is not like you know the the guy at the FAA who you know puts paper in a folder and he didn't have anything else to do, so they sent him to a meeting. It, it it's not it, it is not that at all. Actually, we have um, AFS three. Uh, Susan Parson is the FAA chair of the group. Um, so, uh, Susan is the uh, editor of FAA Safety Briefing magazine and a huge proponent of this effort and has been its cheerleader really since it got off the ground. She too was at the Safe Pilot Training Reform Symposium back in 2011 um, and was there at the very beginning of this whole process. Um, we've had John Duncan um, uh, from Flight Standards, the, the head of Flight Standards, to come and talk to us and to ask us questions and to say, listen, um, all of my, my leaders are here. Tell me what you need. And if it's not getting done, I want to fix that. Um, we have the head of the GA and commercial division, AFS 800. Jim Viola is on our group. Van Kearns, who I mentioned before, is in our group. People from AFS 200 dealing with uh, the airlines, 400 dealing with uh, technical. Uh, they, they do a lot of really interesting stuff that I don't understand, but um, <laughs> it's, it's really deep. Um, but it's every branch of the FA that deals with pilot certification. And even though um, the 200 group is really mostly interested, I guess, in the ATP certification standard, they're still there participating, contributing also to um, even you know private instrument, uh, commercial, things like that. Um, and then when it comes to the industry side, you've got, I want to say, seven uh, colleges and universities with flight programs. You've got a large DPE population, um, a couple of researchers. We've got um, aviation attorneys, flight instructors, corporate pilots, um, goodness gracious, uh, training industry people. Um, Jackie Spanitz from ASA is there. John King and Mac McWhinney from King Schools are there. Um, it, and I'm missing people. Uh, our industry chair is Dave Ord from AOPA. So Dave and Susan kind of co-chair our group from both the industry and the FA side. And I can tell you five years ago when this started, if you had told me that we are going to publish an ACS and that by that point we would have already seen market improvements in the uh, pilot knowledge tests, I probably would have laughed at you because I didn't believe that that was really possible at that time. I had some hope that maybe we could make some kind of difference, some kind of change. But I drank the Kool-Aid really early in and I saw how this group of people from all these diverse backgrounds and from two sides of, of an aisle that rarely spoke to each other before five years ago, um, from industry and the FA, where we kind of did our own things in our own corners and you know, don't come on my turf, I won't go on yours. We're at the table and we're making these changes together. Um, and that's a that's a huge philosophy change, not only in building the standard itself, but also in just what we're doing as a community and how we're trying to improve our national airspace system and really take ownership in that process. So making the person more comfortable that's listening to us, that's going for their check ride or a possible future check ride, there, there's somebody there that's on our side and, and then is working in conjunction with 
the folks that are actually on the other side, quote unquote, the FAA and, and the people implementing this, there is there is some cohesion here. There's there's a, a great work group that's placed together, and I'm glad that our voices are being heard, uh, and I'm I'm glad that the people listening right now, your voice is being heard, which is is terrific. You know, and that that makes me and that feel wouldn't have been possible five years ago. There yes. was no method by which you could say, I don't like this. You need to improve it. Or you could send an email that just wouldn't get answered, or you could call and leave a message that wouldn't get returned. And that's really where we were. That, I mean, that, that was the, the state of FA and industry when it came to pilot testing five years ago. And it's, it's incredible to see. And we talk about this when we have our meetings uh, four times a year in D.C., and then we meet weekly by Telcon in our subgroups. Um, but we talk about this all the time. I just wish that every single pilot and potential pilot in the United States could come to one of those meetings and actually see what goes on there. I mean, you guys are listening. You kind of have to take my word for it. And um, I mean, listen to this Southern Alabama accent. You can trust this. Um, but I mean, you kind of just have to take my word for it. But to be there and to see that and to see the dialogue and how it goes on, um, it's it's actually really impressive. And I could not be prouder to work with the group that we have to do what we're doing. Yeah, and I love the vision of SAFE, the, getting involved with this process in the beginning, and uh, and the chairman of SAFE at the time. I think he did a great job pushing this forward. You know, yeah, Doug is still uh, very active and still works on our group um, and is at every single one of our meetings. Um, even though he's self-sponsored, he gets himself there, and uh, he participates um, as, a, as a DPE and also as a flight instructor on our group. Um, and uh, both Safe and Naffy are both still very active yeah. in our group from since from day one. Yeah, and that's that's great. I think Doug Doug's done a great job along with everybody else. Uh, done some really heavy heavy lifting. Right, Russ, you had a question. Yeah, Eric. Back to a little bit more uh, detail uh, oriented, I guess. Here, As so all of us know how the the PTS standards work and the uh, you know the expectations that are required of you know for. What each maneuver and the 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 plus or minus 100 feet and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What will the ACS have in there? You touched on it briefly before, but as far as knowledge items, can you give a like a good example? Maybe, and I'm sure you know, maybe you know, stalls or something like that, or aerodynamics. Can you give a good example of of what might change in the ACS as far as including more, like you said, more stuff on it for the knowledge part of the uh, the test? Sure. Okay. So let's use, we, we talked about runway incursion avoidance before. So that one's the first thing that popped into my head. So, and I do not have the ACS open in front of me, so don't quote sure, me but the content. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, any kind of example, example you can get, give there. So a knowledge item for uh, runway incursion avoidance uh, might be um, correctly interprets a, um, a an airport diagram to determine um, expected versus assigned clearance routes. Okay, so the ability to know, first of all, what is an airport diagram? How do I get one? How do I use one? What is it telling me? And to think about it in advance, because that's one of the things that, you know, we we, we hopefully we're explaining to people. Don't just wait for ATC to give you an instruction. Think about it. Look at it. What are you expecting to hear? So then when ATC says uh, Charlie Delta uh, hold short runway 27, you're like, but. I'm on the south side. Charlie's on the north. Do they know where I am? So instead of just accepting that clearance and just tootling on down the taxiway, if you looked at the diagram before, you'd know that doesn't make any sense. And this is especially true at an unfamiliar airport. 
And then a risk management item, which that sort of dovetails into both categories, but a risk management item um, along those lines might be um, that um, given a, um, a, a distraction in the cockpit, um, how is the student going to respond to um, maybe programming the GPS uh, while taxing? It's a bad idea. You might run off the taxiway. You might cross a runway. There's all kinds of things that could come up with that. So this is where, again, one of those single pilot resource management tasks, automation management would come up and say, hey, this isn't the right time to program the GPS. Let's wait until the airplane is stopped, right? So this, is, this says, hey, instructor, make sure that you teach this behavior, this attitude to your student. And then, hey, examiner, when you're conducting a check ride, make sure that you're looking for this, not just putting automation management in the introduction and hoping people remember it, but it's listed right there in the task. Like, hey, be looking for automation distractions that can occur while somebody's messing with flight instead of looking where they're going or missing a radio call. If that, maybe that answers the question. No, I think that does a great job answering the question. It sounds like it's going to be, well, both, both a lot more specific and awful lot more more guidance towards, like you said, that w- what they're looking for in a test, but also, you know, what the the flight instructor is can be expected to teach to the the student, which is which is nice because, as you mentioned before, you know, it just it just said uh, you know, runway incursions. Well, that that was it. <laughs> that was right. that was the whole topic in the PTS. Well, that you know, there's a, there's a, a a million interpretations of what that involves. Well, make, go ahead and make sure you hold short, you know, all the way up to, uh, you know, like you talked about, reading back, crossing inst- instructions and all that kind of stuff. So I think that uh, this, this definitely sounds like a, a big step in the right direction to me. We actually joked about this because in education, we always talk about how it's horrible when you have to teach the test and nobody wants to teach the test to their students. They want to teach them to think creatively so that they can solve the questions on the test we joke about it because in the ACS, it's okay to teach the test. It's actually a really good idea because this document bridges that gap, which the, the gulf of training, the FA has always left gap in and just said, listen, flight instructors, flight schools, you guys just figure out whatever you want to teach them. We don't care, but this is how we're going to evaluate them. And the FA was only evaluating them on their skill, which is great, but Given enough time, my eight-year-old can fly an airplane. It's not that hard. I mean, the, the actual physical skill of flying is not that big a deal. It's it's all those decisions that you're making at light speed uh, when you're you know in the soup, uh, right at minimum fuel, shooting an approach into an airport you've never been in before. That's when the skill to keep the airplane upright is dandy, but your ability to keep control of the situation, use all the available resources, that's really important. And that's where that becomes really, really critical. So in this situation, the ACS actually bridges that gulf between testing into training. Now, it doesn't say, you know, hey, use this and build your lesson plans or your syllabus to look like, well, no, it's still a testing document. It's a certification standard. But a good certification standard should be able to be used rather effectively in creating a training course. And if you try to do that with the PTS today, you would miss a ton of things that you should be testing. I'm sorry, you should be training on that just aren't in the PTS today that will be in the ACS. That's interesting, Art, because, you know, bridging that gulf, you know, between the two, the where, gosh, 
how did we come to this? I mean, how did you get to this point where you could you could actually put some more granularity and some uh, actual flesh to the ACS? You must have had groups, and I think you alluded to this before, uh, I think what you called prototyping. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that to get us, and I'm assuming you use that tool to get to actual specific tasks and examples within the ACS. Sure. Okay. So uh, imagine this situation. So you're going to design a new model of a car today. Now, the car already exists. It's existed for many years Pretty much everybody knows what a car is and what you can do with it, but you're setting out to build a better car, okay? So you go to your engineers and you say, okay, design me a car. They design it. You look at it. You go, yep, you know what? That car is exactly what I want. You go to your technicians and you say, this is the electronic package and the capabilities I want in the car. And they come back to you with a spec sheet and you're like, yep, that's exactly what I wanted in the car. And then you go and you talk to your mechanics and you're like, okay, this is the engine I want. This is how much power I want. This is the zero to 60 acceleration that I want. And your uh, mechanics come back and they say, okay, this is what we can do. This is what it's going to cost. And you say, you know what? That's a great, put that into my car. And then this car rolls off the assembly line. You're thrilled with it and you take it out to a dealership and sell it. That just, that's not how it works. That in addition to regulation that prohibits that from happening for really obvious reasons, you can't go from an idea to selling that to a human being without testing it, probably market doing some market research to make sure that the design you picked and the colors you chose are the thing that's going to sell the car. Well, with the PTS, since its birth, that's what we did. The FA would say, okay, we need to make a change to the PTS. It should say this. Let's push it out. It goes on the FA's website. You may have some lead time to know that, or you may show up at a check ride and the DP goes, oh, you have the old version of the PTS. This updated last week. Oh, well, I didn't know. <laughs> and then if you think it's, it's, it's silly because we wouldn't accept that in any other aspect of our life. Um, it's like building a house without having the building inspector come in and check it out first. It's just, it's not done. So when we built the ACS, we said, listen, let's actually put this thing out in the field. And first of all, make sure that it actually works and people can use it and understand it. And two, let's make sure that it does what we think it's going to do. And so we came up with this brand new, this brand new process called prototyping. It's like, it's never been done before. (laughs) Wow. It's huge earth shattering idea. We should, we should prototype the ACS. But that's exactly what we did. And and effectively what that entailed was a three-step process, which we're finishing up the third stage of now. Um, The first stage of the prototype was a very limited group, um, six or seven students in a very captive audience. And the entire point of that was to put the thing in an instructor's hand um, to get some DPEs who were trained on what the ACS was and say, guys, use this. And tell us if it works. That was the whole point. Just very limited uh, involvement. And we found out that it did work. And actually it worked better than we expected it to. And we got a lot of great feedback. Awesome. Okay. So we moved into phase two. And phase two was based in the Orlando FISDO here in Florida. And don't quote me. I think it was six, seven flight schools all over the district. Um, 40, 50 or so applicants. Um, and then a corresponding number of flight instructors and DPEs who were briefed on the ACS. But understand this, we didn't tell them how to use the ACS. All we did was to tell them how prototyping works. 
Because the ACS, what you're getting in June is just the document. But the real beauty, the amazing quality of the ACS is what we call test question coding. So right now, if you go take an FA knowledge test, you get your test report back and it's going to say PLT and a three-digit number. You look in a reference guide and it's some obscure statement like determine pressure altitude or something like that, which doesn't tell you anything, by the way. It doesn't tell you where to go learn more about that. It just says determine pressure altitude. Okay. That could be a performance chart. That could be weather. It could be anything. There's no way to know. So test question coding, and if you look at an ACS document, which I encourage all of you to go do, you'll notice in the right column of every task, there's a big long code over there. And what that does is code each element in every task to a very specific item. Questions in the FA test database are already getting those codes assigned to them. And the FA is in the process right now of contracting a third-party vendor to start managing its knowledge test for it. So instead of FA inspectors writing knowledge test questions, now you have a professional test management company who will write the questions, board the questions, maintain the questions, so that our, again, which this goes back to where we started five years ago, which is improving the quality of our knowledge test, so that we can make responsive changes. So if there is a rush of accidents because people aren't doing takeoff uh, distance calculations, we'll know that because the test report will specifically, it will drill down to the actual thing people are missing on knowledge tests. We'll see a corresponding uh, uptick in accident data. And then we can go in and we can change the standard if we need to. We can change the handbooks, which are all coded to those same codes now. And we can also go in and get information out to the industry and say, here's a problem and here are some suggestions on how we might fix it. So that's step two. What you're getting right now, what you're going to get in June, is the ACS document itself. But the prototype participants got to take the specific ACS knowledge test. So in addition to getting their little test report that you all get today, they also got a hand-graded uh, test report from Oklahoma City that actually listed those special ACS codes. So then the instructors were able to go in and not just, well, I don't know, it says something about pressure altitude. Do you understand pressure altitude? Yeah. Okay, well, let's go take a check run. This let the instructors go into an enormous level of detail in a post-knowledge test debrief to get the student ready for the oral exam. And what we found out in phase two when we put this process together was that applicants were more prepared to go into the practical test, instructors felt more confident in their applicants' performance, and every single one of the DPEs in that prototype effort said, oh my goodness, these people actually know what to expect when they come in for the practical test. They were able to ready themselves. They were, ready, they were able to remediate their missing knowledge from the knowledge test because they were actually told what to study. So that's phase two, uh, if you will, of the ACS rollout process. That's still down the road, but it's coming. We just saw that the ACS was such a huge improvement. We didn't want to wait for that to be done. We wanted to go ahead and get it out in the field. And what we're doing right now is phase three. And phase three is the instrument ACS. Phase one and phase two were private. And this prototype is based in the Orlando FISDO here in Florida and also in the Seattle FISDO out in Washington State. Because what we wanted to do in phase three, because the Orlando people had already seen private before, we wanted to introduce instrument, because it's a different animal, to a whole different group of people and say, okay, well, we had success in Orlando. But if we just take the instrument ACS and give it to a school and say, 
here's what the prototyping process is going to be. This is how we're going to do this hand-graded knowledge test thing. Go forth and prosper. Could they do it? Could they pick up the ACS and either one, just continue as they were with training or be able to improve their training and testing process? This prototype effort ends in uh, May. We're right around the, the doorway from getting that done. And I, I, I can't tell you how happy we are as a, as a prototype and implementation group to get these surveys, these anonymous surveys we're getting back from the prototype participants saying, this is so much better. Why didn't we always do it this way? Which is the same question that you guys asked before. Aren't we already doing this now? Well, yeah, some people are. But this will enable us all to do it. And then when this test question coding thing becomes a reality, then our ability to prepare for the knowledge test is not some meaningless roadblock that we have to get over, but it actually will help us prepare for the things we need to know and consider before we go and fly an airplane by ourselves. The test question coding, I think, is incredibly exciting. When I first saw it, I was like, wow. Why didn't we do this before? I know, right? It's like this, it seems so logical, but but it's because industry was never involved in that process. Industry did training, and the FA did testing, and the FA didn't. It's not that they didn't care; it's that they didn't know it was important because they never asked, <laughs> you know. And so, when we get together and we say, "Okay, so how can we do both of these things, and how can we as an industry take more interest in the testing process because we need to understand it." And you as the FA, how can you take more interest and buy-in into the training process? Because you need to know how pilots are being trained. You need It's not just about the testing process. You need to be involved in training too. And it was like this aha moment. Like, why weren't we doing that to begin with? And that's a very valid question. I don't know the answer to it. I'm just glad that we're doing it now. One of the concerns I have with the new ACS, and I'm sure this is uh, going forward with the prototyping, is going to stay. Uh, prototyping will be here to stay, I should say. But what do we do when we come upon a the, the scope of the exam and we come upon something that should be included, such as NDB approaches? Say we decide to go back to using NDBs. No, better yet, let's say we're going to start using GLS approaches, and that's going to be part of the, the practical test or ACS for the private. How does that become implemented in this process? How do we move that into the ACS? So today, if something like that happened, um, it would just magically appear in the PTS. And then eventually, maybe a year or two from now, when the uh, handbooks, the FA handbooks are updated, then that information would show up in the handbook. So there'd be this huge gap of time between when it was implemented in testing and when the FA provided information on what they wanted you to learn. The way this is going to work going forward is that this working group serves as kind of a filter to all of those requests. And we've had, actually, we've sort of, I guess, if you will, prototyped that process a lot just going along because in the, in the five years that we've been doing this, as you can imagine, a lot of hot button issues have come up. And the, the instinct is still to, well, we got to do this right now. We got to change everything. But our group says, well, hold on a second. That's probably very important. However, let's consider what the downrange or downstream impacts are going to be, and let's plan accordingly. So instead of having this huge information gulf between when it's tested and when we explain it, let's make sure that those things roll out simultaneously. Let's make sure that we have a process where we can get to all of the industry stakeholders that we need to get to and tell them, 
This is what's changing. This is why it's changing, that being very important, by the way, and what you should do about it. Because right now, we may, maybe we communicate what is changing, and we don't really do a great job of that. What we want to do is not only tell everybody what is happening, we want to explain why. This is why we're making the change. So if you haven't already, I highly advise all of you to go to the AFS 630 website. You can just type in AFS 630 in your search box. It'll take you straight there. That's the um, Airman Testing and Certification page at the FAA. From there, you'll be able to access sample ACS documents. You'll be able to access the Frequently Asked Questions document. And this is not something we built in in a vacuum. Every single question in that document is a question that got asked to us. And every time a new question gets asked, we throw it in that document. I guarantee if you will take the time to read the frequently asked questions, 99.9% of all of your questions should be answered in there because we've gotten a lot of questions as we've gone forward. What you're also going to see there is an ability to subscribe where you can put in your email address. Every time 630 changes something, whether the uh, figure supplements for the knowledge test get updated or new questions roll out to the testing centers or new sample tests are uploaded or new handbooks come out, you can now get an email directly from AFS 630 the moment that happens. You don't have to wait to read about it in the aviation media. You don't have to wait until your student is suddenly surprised when they show up at a check ride unawares. You'll be able to be notified immediately when those things happen. And that's a huge improvement in our communication process. Um, and that's just one small thing, that, a really critical first step in making sure that we get the information out. And then there's building the why making sure that we not only tell people what the change is, but why it's being done. Because even when someone doesn't agree with your change, if you can actually explain your position and why you're doing it, most people will get to the point of being able to accept it. They might not agree with it, but they'll be able to accept it. If you just say, this is what we're changing, deal with it, that doesn't endear anybody to you. And so that's that's a huge step forward too. And then the third part of that is, what do you need to do about it? So here's this information. Here's why we're giving you this information, and here's what you need to do. Um, Steps you need to take, things you need to consider, things you need to be prepared for. Um, And uh, and I think that is the critical component of this process moving forward is to making sure that that communication stream is wide open and that information flows in both directions. Outstanding. Thanks, Eric. You know, we we have just one more time for one more question here. Uh, Tom, go ahead. You had a question. Yeah, Eric, and, and this is like awesome information, and it looks like I've got a lot to learn here and uh, moving forward, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading and catching up with all this stuff. So, um, you know, from our standpoint, you know, while I got you here, I want to know what uh, the inside scoop is. If we have, if, if there are any anticipated difficulties, you know, during this transition for students or for CFIs, you know, uh, you guys in, anticipating, what, what are the concerns that you have from the group standpoint um, as we move forward with the ACS? To be honest with you, Tom, my greatest fear is that there's going to be somebody who doesn't know, that just is not aware, <laughs> that literally shows up on a check ride the day after the ACS becomes effective, the instructor didn't know, the student didn't know, and they walk in and it's like, what is this? And the student panics. I'm, we are trying to do everything possible to prevent that from happening. And part of our implementation process was to actually build a communication plan. How is it that we need to get information out to stakeholders? And it's actually, it's funny when 
the article that Carl originally pointed to was an article from AOPA. That article was written as part of our communication plan. That was that was in our list of things that we were going to do. Um, and actually, it's, it's odd because Carl said, hey, would you come on and be interviewed about the ACES? Well, actually, that checks a box on my implementation plan. So, yes, <laughs> I would be happy to do that. And so all of our working group, we're not relying just on the FA to do it, and they're doing a great job of it. But each of us as industry stakeholders, we're also going out to our local stakeholder groups and saying here, you know, and Carl's talked about FA safety meetings. That's a huge piece on our implementation plan um, through our FA uh, 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 industry contacts. We've been able to get to all of the safety program managers at all of the FISDOs so that we can make sure that they understand what this is and how to communicate with their safety reps in their region to make sure that the ACS information is getting out at pilot seminars, making sure it gets into the aviation media, so on and so forth. The, the, my, my biggest fear, my, my 90%, you know, if, if there's anything that's going to go wrong, the problem is going to be somebody didn't know. And we are really, really adamant about making sure that if that happens – it is such a random, crazy occurrence that there was no way we could have possibly planned for it. Like, I lived in the jungle until the day before my check ride, and I didn't have internet access and no contact to the outside world. Well, then there's no way you're going to know. But, but hopefully, maybe we need to invest in sky riding or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so that, that's my biggest fear. And I think most of the other issues we've already talked about uh, tonight in our conversation, the check ride's going to get longer. No, it's really not. And, and I can say that because we've observed 30 check rides. It doesn't get longer. It just doesn't. If anything, it gets shorter because it's a more focused, efficient use of everybody's time. Um, it's going to be a harder check ride. That's just not true. The standard is really the same that it was. All we did was just we made it an open book test where before you knew what you were going to do when you got in the airplane, but you had no idea really what the examiner was going to ask you on the ground. Now you do. It's an open book exam. So I, I think that actually makes the process easier, not more difficult. Um, and then if you read the the FAQ document, you'll see a bunch of just – some of them are really valid issues and some of them are really off-the-wall things like, you know, why does the FA always want to change stuff? Um, if it's not broken, why fix it? Um, well, I mean, I guess everybody has a philosophical point there. But for, for me, I wouldn't say it's necessarily broken, but it's not as good as it can be. And if something could be improved, why wouldn't you improve it? I guess it's just, is the glass half empty or half full? I mean, does the PTS system function? It functions. Is it the best way to do it? No. Well, if the process can be improved and we can create better, safer, more competent, proficient pilots, why wouldn't we do that? If there was a way to improve the process, why not? Why not, why not make that uh, our national airspace system a safer system. Um, and, and then the second part of that is why is the FAA always changing stuff? This is an industry-led effort. Um, the FAA is, has been extremely supportive of this process, but this is absolutely an industry-driven effort. And hopefully everybody from this uh, uh, call tonight understands that. I mean, it's this is not something the FAA did in a corner, quite the opposite. Um, the FAA came and said, hey, will you help us? And we said, oh my goodness, yes. Why didn't you ask a singer? <laughs> you know, um, and uh, it, it's it's not an FA change; it's an industry change that the FA is supporting. Um, but I think those are probably my my top fears, and just just the, the naysaying. You know, the people who don't like change. You know, like well, you know, I liked it the way it was; it didn't need to change. Well, 
And that's, there's, there's something to be said in that and comfort and stuff like that. Like, you know, I like, I like my macaroni and cheese the way I like my macaroni and cheese, you know, don't change my macaroni and cheese. But at the same time, this isn't changing your macaroni and cheese. This is, you were eating macaroni and cheese and now here's a filet mignon. (laughs) Keep the macaroni and cheese. I'm going to eat the steak. So it's, it's not even, it's not so much a a change as it is a, a, a different philosophy of how to train and test pilots. So um, it's a long answer and there's probably more, but I guess those are my, my personal concerns. Just the, that realization that somebody is going to wake up one day and not know the change happened. That's definitely my biggest concern. And that's what we're spending the predominant amount of our effort on right now as a group to make sure that doesn't happen. One of the best ways to, to make sure that doesn't happen is listen to podcasts like this and get out there to the safety meetings and, and listen to all the different podcasts and, and the videos from AOPA, EAA, all those different organizations. I think there's some really good information out there, isn't there, Eric? There is, and there's going to be more because uh, Flying Magazine, uh, Plane and Pilot, um, all of the industry organizations from EAA to NBAA to NATA, all the letter groups – all of this is part of our strategic uh, communication plan, and we want to make sure that this word is getting out. So instead of trying to do that all ourselves, I don't have everybody in the world's email address. I, I don't want everybody's email address. You don't want me to have your email address, and that's fine. But if you're a member of these organizations, you count on them to give you information, right? That's why you pay that fee. So we're going to them and saying, hey, inform your membership. Let them know what's going on. Because, one, they trust you. Apparently, they trust you because they give you money every year. Um, so help us get the word out and because we want to make sure that that actually happens. Well, we're big proponents of disseminating information. I think this is great what you're doing, Eric. And I think you're a wonderful spokesperson for ACS. And, and you've done a great job, some heavy lifting over the years. I know that I've seen in the past some of your frustrations and, and the sleepless nights, et cetera. But I think, I think it's worth it, and, and I applaud you for that effort. I think you've done a wonderful job. I, I really appreciate it. that. Thank you very much. You know, Eric, you, let's go back to what you said before about information. Someone listening right now, I know we're going to have a link. You said AFS 630, which actually links to the airman testing. We'll mm-hmm. have a link. It's stuck my gavcast. That is an awesome thing to do is get on there and subscribe. Subscribe to the info, uh, and you'll, you'll get the updates. And that is one of the best ways to stay informed is to understand the changes and to keep up with all this information. There's more. And the day, those, the day those final ACSs come out, if you're subscribed – you're going to get an email as soon as it happens, the minute that they get uploaded. Correct, correct. So a quick review of the dates that we're looking at on ACS that we should be looking for in the in the future is in June is the implementation. April is going to be the publication. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Okay, great. Well, Eric, gosh, you know, this has been awesome coming on as a guest. We usually have you on as a co-host, but, <laughs> but this has been some great information. I get to grill you, and I'll, I'll be doing that often, actually, at, at uh, Sun and Fun coming up in the near future. I'm sure at, we'll be talking uh, well, about this. I don't know this. If, if you got the memo, but at Sun and Fun, I'm actually going to interview you. So oh this is going to be really interesting. Oh uh, go ahead and send your uh, questions <laughs> for the grilling of Carl. Hashtag grill Carl. Um, oh, boy. Tweet that to me. Email me, um, and I will make sure that all of your, um, uh, you know, Hollywood dirt questions of Carl get asked on the deck at Summit Fun Radio. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. I appreciate that. You're the, so welcome. <laughs> the after landing checklist. You know, it, it's interesting because that is actually one of the things that we, we love to do every year, Sun and Fun, and support that effort. 
and the effort of getting information out and also inspiring people to get into aviation, aerospace, and all the different careers and also for an avocation. You know, this is, this is something that we, we love, we have fun doing. I really highly encourage people to get out there to Sun and Fun and to, to listen to the radio station just to, to hear what's going on. Some people, you know, I do that. I listen to some of these live events and absolutely love it. Uh, but there's a live feed. I think, Larry Overstreet, you have uh, some information on, on what they're doing with that live feed uh, from Sun and Fun and also how they can listen right now to Sun and Fun Radio. Absolutely, Carl. Um, if you can't be at Sun and Fun, being on Sun and Fun Radio, it, it, listening to Sun and Fun Radio via the live feed is about the next best thing. Uh, the URL for that is liveatc.net slash SNF. It's uh, brought to us uh, uh, by um, Dave Pascoe and the folks at Live ATC. ATC. Um, they sponsor that live feed. And the cool thing about it is that it's, it's uh, live during the show. So during the you know, week of the show, it's a live radio feed. Um, but then the other 51 weeks out of the year, um, we re-loop the uh, interviews and stuff like that that happened during that week so that you can you know, pick it up and listen at any time during the year. So if you're listening now, you could pop on over to liveatc.net slash SNF and listen right in. Or you can listen on their apps. Uh, uh, they've got iPhone and, and Android apps that you can listen to. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff out there on, on liveatc.net slash SNF. Um, and if you can be there, as Carl said, come on by the radio station. I'll be there. Carl will be there. Tom and Eric will be there. Um, I'm not sure about the other folks on the on the podcast, but we try to get as many people there as we can. And we always love to say hi to anybody um, you know, as they come on by and, and hear the stories that uh, they've collected from uh, Sun and Fun. And I think uh, Russ will be joining us this year on the deck. All right, Russ. Awesome. Yes, yeah. that's right. I'll be there, too. Thank we're, you. We're very excited Terrific. about that, to have someone new on the deck, live, in person. And and like you said about the content, there's so many good things out there. I learn so much just by listening to uh, Sun and Fun Radio throughout the year. Uh, I kind of get sick of hearing my voice, though, all the time on the radio, because I was up there on the stage quite a bit on the deck. But there are so many great interviews out there in the field at those different vendors that you don't get to hear, hear from that often, because we don't have them on the deck. We actually get out there in the field and we do interviews. That's what's really important about listening to, to Sun and Fun. And also, you, you can listen to the chats from the deck. You can listen to, to a lot of the, the past episodes in, by clicking on that specific uh, interview or that specific uh, episode that was on there, on the deck there. So I really highly encourage you going out there. Well, gosh, guys, this has been terrific. I mean, this has been some amazing information. Eric, I can't you know, thank you enough for coming here and doing this for us. And, and obviously, people are going to have lots of questions. They can go out to the website. They can ask those questions on stuckmikeavcast.com. And, uh, and we'll send them forward to Eric, and we'll also answer them on future episodes. Hopefully, Eric, you're going to come back, aren't you? I certainly hope so. Um, Sean and I were joking earlier. You know, it's, it's so rare for Sean and I to be on a podcast at the same time. Um, the stars have aligned, and we're, we're simultaneously on a podcast together. Um, I'm afraid of what you know, this might do to the internet. Actually, I'm, I'm actually really worried about the entire universe, the fabric of space and time. Uh, Sean, that's my that's my concern. Um, but uh, yeah, we've broke the internet. Um, but uh, yeah, I absolutely intend to come back, and, and even before that, I'm more than happy to answer questions uh, by email. You know, I, I always joke about uh, talking to you guys on Twitter, and I really do love connecting with you on Twitter. I seriously do. This may be one of those conversations that's very difficult to have on Twitter. And just, I mean, mostly, most of the time, limiting me to 140 characters is a really good thing. In this particular situation, we're talking about 20 tweets for me to, you know, uh, answer your question. So in this case, email might be the best. 
Um, and you know, Carl always provides uh, my contact information. It's there on the website. Make use of it. I, I mean, I say that um, willingly. I, I would love to help answer your questions and then do me one favor. Um, help me spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell people that aren't your friends. Um, you know, tell, tell everybody that you come in contact with about the ACS so that my fear of someone not knowing doesn't come true. Help me out with that. And Eric, we will definitely do that here. And the listeners, I, I think we'll, we'll do that too. And we really appreciate what you've done. And also we appreciate you, the listener, uh, for, for being part of this program and, and continuing that conversation also here, but, uh, online and within Twitter, Facebook, and also on the webpage. We do see those comments and we try to get back to you with an answer. It might be myself or any of the other co-hosts. We truly are passionate about aviation and we love to keep this conversation going. I hope we, we bringing you, we are bringing you some information that, that will be useful in the future. Uh, also, you know, one of the things I want to mention too is the fact that that when when we put this together, uh, we, we are all volunteers. We do this and because we love this, and you know, we obviously we do get products from from uh, different organizations, and we get books, etc., that are are given to us. But but we really don't do it for the money. We do it because we are so passionate about aviation. Hey, Carl, can I ask a quick clarification question? Yes, sir. I we're not getting paid tonight. Is that uh, what you're no, saying? No, no, no. Sorry, Eric. I, I didn't tell you about that. I I thought we... Oops, sorry. Got to yeah. go. The, uh, so, um, Sean, I think this is where we just drop the mic and walk away. But, Am I but correct? Guys, uh, I wait. think that's right. <laughs> but guys, wait. <laughs> I, I said I'd get I you mean, passes. I've been invoicing so many hours all this time. And, I've been uh, wondering why all those invoices came back, no such person. That, and that's what it is. He's just rejecting my bills. That's what it is. <laughs> But no, actually, we we do we we uh, the sponsor of this this uh, podcast actually is aerospacescholarships.com, dot com, and they uh, which is actually the other website that I own, and uh, it helps bring us this uh, podcast to us. So if you get a chance, you know somebody who actually is interested in uh, aviation and helping people move forward, check out that website. Um, but no, none of us, none of the co hosts here, we do get products obviously from people to to review, uh, but. You know, our opinions are our own, and uh, I think it's really important to have this conversation, to have the variety of opinions that we have on this podcast here. Um, but, guys, I really appreciate it. We've gone a little bit long today, but I think some of the information we have was very important. We could have done another two hours on ACS, and we definitely going to have Eric back on again to talk more about this. Well, folks, from myself, uh, Eric Crump and uh, Russ Rosaliski, uh, from Larry Overstreet, Paul Greco, Sean Moody and Tom Frick, we really appreciate your listening. Please do something today to, to learn more about the <laughs> Airman Certification Standards. Go out to the website. We'll have a link. Just search on AFS 630. Click on the Airman Testing, and you'll learn so much. We really appreciate your listening and hope to see you next episode. Guys, fly safe. Learn more about ACS. Talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.